So I, I want you guys to know something. I feel compelled to tell you this. Is in the tradition that I come from in terms of Christianity, it's not atypical to preach 35 to 55 minute sermons. Don't you like the fact that we don't do that? <laughs> uh, maybe one day we'll get there. But you know, one of the one of the things we want to do always is we want to like if I get up to preach or proclaim what's going on in the Bible, that we can ask questions. What I mentioned earlier, we can interact with that. Because one of the things that's very, very important is to have a place that is safe to ask questions. Many, many churches that I'm aware of, and I'm sure many more I'm not, is it's dangerous to ask questions, especially of someone who's perceived as an authority. Um, we want that to be the reverse here. Because the disciples, even as we'll see here, they're kind of, they're kind of snippy with Jesus, and yet he still has compassion. And that's what we want to be like here. Um, so I want to I want to point out just a few things out of this passage that are very very important to understand and are very very oh yeah thank you um, I stopped mid sentence Zach has little booklets back there those booklets are actually the Gospel of Mark and they have the 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 language on the left and then they have a place for notes on the right if you'd like one of those just raise your hand we'll get it to you and you're welcome to have it. Um, if, if you don't have one, the words are here, but it's kind of cool if you ever want to keep it, take notes for yourself when you go home and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's yours if you like it. So, Zach, what was I in the middle of saying before you kindly interrupted me? <laughs> so some people speak 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole first part of this book of Mark is who is this? Who, who is this guy? In fact, after several of these signs that he does, everybody stops, they're amazed, and they're like, who is this? And people have defined him as a healer, you know, a miracle worker, an authoritative teacher, um, all these types of things, a prophet. This passage, and we'll miss it if we're not care. we have to really lock in for a moment, is he actually, it's just like his grand calling card. This is like him really coming out. And showing who he really is. Okay? So, what, as, as Alice read this, here's, here's what we need to know. Is that first and foremost, Jesus is giving his true identity to us. Arguably, for the first time in Mark, he's saying, this is really who I am. And he does that in these three ways here. He does it, first of all, by giving rest in the wilderness. They're going to a desolate place, or the wilderness, it says here. It's a place where other people aren't. It's a place where people don't typically live. It's where Jesus goes when he's tempted. It's this desolate place. It's a place away. But he actually provides rest there, as opposed to this chaos and this fighting against, against evil and darkness and depression. But not only that, he also provides bread. He gives us more than we expect in that wilderness as well. And he does this, lastly, because he's present in that wilderness. All right? You got it? Of course not. We'll never remember these things, but they're really important to remember, actually. And so we read these words, and the first thing we find is the disciples, in verse 31, come back, and they're like, listen what happened. See what we did? We were just like you. We healed people. People touched us. They got well. You know, we cast out demons. All the evil that was around us. I mean, it was a, that doesn't happen, right? These things don't happen today. Not near like this. And so they're pumped about it. 
right? And they come back, and what does he say to them? He's like, yeah, you guys are going to be wiped out from this. So come away. It says twice in 30 and 31, come away, 31, 32, to a desolate place and rest. And then he does something very similar with the crowds. Think about this. It starts in verse 34. Uh, no, actually a little bit before that. And it says, they saw where he was going and they ran to get there. When you think about where they are, where they're going, uh, it's approximately four to six miles. I mean, these guys strapped it on and went. People, and, and by the way, that language of great cra- uh, cloud or great crowd is about five, I mean, we were told 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. I mean, we've got thousands of people running around the lake so that when they land, they can be there to hear him and to see him. And what does he do? Does he like, guys, quick, starboard, quick, oh, starboard, quick, uh, actually, port, turn around, let's get out of here. You know, no. He lands and it says that he, he had compassion on these people like a sheep who had no shepherd. The idea of compassion that's been explained in this culture is that if you could tear out your heart and give it to another to give them life and take your own, that's what's going on here. It's a very, very serious graphic understanding. Can you imagine being one of thousands upon thousands upon thousands and that Jesus actually has compassion on you because you're a sheep without a shepherd? Now, there's a background to that, which is important to understand as well. And the background starts in, in like the book of Numbers, where Moses says to the Lord, he says, Lord, would you appoint a man over the whole congregation or all the people who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep, who have no shepherd. That's where this, the language originally came from. And so do you know what God does? He appoints a man named Joshua. Which, interestingly, and not coincidentally, when you put that, that, word, that name into the Greek, that language, it's Jesus. The name Jesus is the same name as Joshua in Hebrew. And so he's saying, I'll give you somebody, I'll give you Joshua. Because we need a shepherd who will take us out of the wilderness and into the promised land. You see? So you have Joshua, but you have an even greater Joshua, and that's Jesus. It goes on here um, and in Ezekiel 34, which is a really, really difficult passage because it's really, it's, it's a condemnation against all the religious leaders of the day. And here's what it says there. It says, O Lord, or the Lord says rather, my people were scattered because there was no shepherd. Therefore, God says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Then it comes to Jesus and you know what he says, people are gathering around him and in the book of John, he says, I am the good shepherd. I give them rest by laying down my life for them. Okay, so what's going on here is powerful. Jesus is saying that just like David, just like Joshua, I'm delivering and I'm giving rest in the hardest places of life. 
I'm with you. Um, in the, the story is told that in the, a group of tourists went to the Middle East one time, and they were being taught by the guide about shepherds and how shepherds worked, and it was some sort of religious thing, so they were trying to understand the Bible better. And it said, you know, they said, well, here's the deal. The shepherds always lead. You know, they stand in the front, and they walk into a new pasture, and so they lead the sheep into pasture. And they're all like, oh, yeah, that's that Psalm 23 says, you know, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me into green pastures. He restores my soul. He brings me rest. And they're like, oh, great. And then they pull up, and they have to stop because these sheep are all crossing the road. And the shepherds are behind with the crook and the staff, and they're pushing all the sheep forward through these gates. And they're like, ha, I thought you said it was from the front. I thought the shepherds led from the front. And he said, oh, yeah, they do. That's the butcher. (coughs) Now, what do you have there? You have a leader of sorts who's actually guilting, who's prodding from behind. As opposed, and taking people to destruction, taking, in this case, the sheep to destruction, right? As opposed to a true leader, a true shepherd who provides rest by saying, come with me. And I will enter into the, the, the darkness and even the death and exhaustion of the wilderness so that you can have rest. So where do we need rest today? Rest is physical, right? Like one of you this morning was telling me you worked in your yard yesterday. Um, and so physically you're tired. That's one way of needing restoration. But, you know, there's, there's actually rest, which is much deeper than that. And it's what we see with the disciples. And it's what we see with the crowds. There's a spiritual weariness. There's a spiritual sense of like, I'm exhausted. There's an emotional, emotional and a mental part of like, I'm exhausted. That's where most people get tired, by the way, burnout. It doesn't come from physical, physicality. It comes from spiritual and emotional. Just, it's like the energy level just drains right out. And Jesus is saying, come with me. I'll lead in the front and I'll give you rest. Uh, by the way, sheep wander aimlessly. They have no idea where they're going. They, they don't even know when they're getting hurt, really. Uh, they don't know when danger's coming around. And what Jesus does in that case is he's actually saying, you know what, I'm wise enough and I'm gentle enough, I'm loving enough to take you where you need to go, even though you think you may know where you're going. That's what he is for us, okay? The next thing we see here is that he's bred in the wilderness. He's not just rest, but he's also bred. I love this. This is a guy. <laughs> I, I really only chose this quote because of the guy's name. Listen to this. S.F.H.J. Birkenbach van der Sprinkel. <laughs> and now everybody here doesn't get that except our one Dutch speaker, Alice Weber. Uh, but that, I mean, here's what he says. And so it really is worth putting it in, actually. It says, in the midst of the wilderness, he says, among the sheep without a shepherd, there stands one who breaks bread. God's kingdom opens, and they eat and are filled without knowing how. In the middle of the wilderness, one comes, and he breaks bread, and the kingdom of God is breaking in, bursting forth, and yet nobody knows how it's happening. So let's look at that in one of the most well-known little pericopes or stories in the Bible. And and here's what's so interesting about this. It's the only miracle that's told in all four of what they call the, what we call the Gospels. There's four books that record Jesus' physical ministry on earth. And this is the only one, the feeding of the 5,000, that's told in every one of those. What does that mean? What, is that, what do you think that means? 
Yeah, which is really important. <laughs> if you say the same thing over and over, that's really important to you. And so this is really important. It's a story that says more that we probably would think it means. And, and so here's the background on this story, which again is, is important. God's people, God had led them like a shepherd out of Egypt. They'd been in, they'd been in captivity and bondage for over 400 years. He finally delivers them in a very miraculous way. They get out in the desert, and less than two months, they start saying, you know, when we were in Egypt, we actually got to eat meat. We stood around pots, and then they would dish big things of meat out to us, and we'd eat. We'd have onions and all kinds of stuff. We come out here only to die of hunger. God, Moses, you let us out here to die. No food. What gives? And what does God do? He says, I'll give you food. And I'll give you food out of the ground. You don't even recognize that food that you eat comes from the ground. And he says, wake up in the morning and you'll have food. And sure enough, they wake up in the morning and there's this bread-like substance in the ground. They gather up and they make loaves of it, like these ones we're going to eat in a bit. And they call it manna, which is basically like, what is it? (laughs) But you know what? It sustains them. It keeps them alive. It is their very livelihood, if you will. And that Jesus comes along the scene and he says this in John chapter 6. He says, Moses came and said, he will show you the glory of God by giving this food, by giving this manna. And then Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. Like, you think that was bread? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again, but instead, he will never thirst. In other words, everything you need, everything I need for life is given from God. Now, consider this for a moment. There's 5,000, probably double that, 10,000 people. Uh, There's Bridgestone Arena people. Think about that. It's crazy. Out in the middle of a pasture, Jesus is projecting this teaching he comes in and he teaches them about the kingdom. When they're lost, like without a shepherd, what does he do? He Does he go like, oh, everybody, it's okay? No, he teaches them about the kingdom of God breaking in. And then he shows the kingdom of God breaking in by taking this bread. Like, well, how much bread? The disciples ask him in a real sarcastic way, like, oh, what do you want us to do? Go to the town and use a full, like somebody's full year of money so everybody gets a little pod of bread? He's like, no, you give them something to eat. And that's when they say it, right? And then he says, well, how much is here? And they find a kid with a little, it's, it's like a snackable. It's not even a lunch. And it's got five loaves and two fish, little fish like that, like little bigger than a sardine, but not much, all salted. Uh, that thing's not going many places except in a little 12-year-old's mouth. No offense. LAUGHTER <laughs> And he brings it, and what does Jesus do? First thing he does is he breaks it, and then he holds it to heaven and prays. He has them sit on groups of 50 and 100, which is reminiscent, again, of what Moses did. He started breaking down groups of his people, and then he had shepherds over each one, or chiefs over each one. In this case, he gives out the bread, and they keep breaking and breaking and giving and giving, and then we're told a pretty amazing thing in verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
They weren't just like, oh, that's going to hold me over until I can get back home. They're totally satisfied. And then there's extra baskets left. God does, never just gives us what we think we need. God never skimps on us. Perhaps um, you're here today and you think this. You know, God's led me to a place and now he's kind of held me out to dry. He's hung me out to dry. Well, why did God lead me into this situation and then abandon me? How could God actually be real and good if he's taken me through this hellish experience, this hellish life, right? All of us at some point can connect to that. And you know why? Because he's actually not only our shepherd giving rest in the, rest in the wilderness of those places, but he's also providing everything we need and abundantly, and yet we're not aware of it. You see how that works? If we were wise enough to figure everything out, and none of us are, we would actually realize he's taking care of us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he's providing these things. It, stories of sacrifice and giving life away, they resonate, don't they? There's something about that. Um, some of you guys may have read the book or seen the movie Unbroken. There's a guy named Louis Zamperini. He was actually on track to be the first person to run a mile under four minutes. A guy named Roger Bannister beat him to it. And the reason he beat him to it is because he went into the Navy. So he's flying, a, he's flying his bomber, and they get shot down. Three of them survive. They jump on a makeshift raft. They're at sea for 47 days. No one's ever been, as far as they know, on a raft in the water in the Pacific for that long. These guys are surviving, but one of the guys named Mac is getting very weak. And they've got some chocolate bars that are left in their ration kit. They've eaten almost everything. Well, Mac takes <clears throat> the chocolate bars and eats them when the other two guys are sleeping. And they wake up and they realize, he took our last bit. We had nothing. We have nothing. We're, we're dying. But they also realize that Mac was about to die. And so what do they do? Instead of beating him? They eat him. They, they ate him. No, they didn't eat him. No. But see, that would be easy. They actually, did, they actually did the exact opposite, David. You know what they did? They forgave him. Now think about this. I mean, it's really, that's a perfect reaction because it's like, oh, what? Because everything in us goes like, no, eat the person. Survive. Find some more fish and sharks and try to bait them up to the boat like they did and kill them and eat them. Stay alive. But Zamborini says, says, we actually realize that if we died, that was one thing. But he would die if he didn't eat. You see? That's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking the bread. He's giving himself, even through his disciples. And later we find out that they didn't even get the purpose of it. Now they knew that it was coming out of their hands somehow in a weird way, but they didn't get what it was doing for them, did they? Uh, nor do we. And then this thing happens where he sends them on out into the water to go through the water and then he goes up the mountain to pray. Now that may resonate with some of you may go, oh, I kind of recall something like that before. Again, back to Moses. Moses goes up the mountain, his people, as his people go through the water, but then 
when he's on the mountain, here's what Moses says. He's speaking with God, we're told, as a man talks to his friend. And he says, if you're with us, if you're actually present with us, would you show us your glory? And you know what he says? He says, nobody can see me and live. So instead, I'll pass by and make sure that you don't see me. Because if you see me, you won't live. Do you hear the mercy and grace in that? He's like, I want you to know I'm with you, but I'm not going to show you my face, as it were, because you would die. The exact same language is used here. When it's told that after Jesus went up on the mountain to pray and was all alone, except with his father, and he saw that they were making headway but doing it painfully and pitifully, he actually goes out, and in verse 39 it says, he was walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. In this man, there's something of the presence of God, and he's going to pass by so that they don't get destroyed. But then they see him. And like any of us, when we saw that, we'd freak, right? We're like, what is going on? So he comes over to him and he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't lose hope. It's me. But you know what the words are that he actually says? He says, I am. He uses this phrase, and the phrase actually is translated as I am, very literally. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying the very thing that you got in the desert the very the food, the very rest you got in the desert, I bring to you, and you can now see the face of God and not be destroyed. I am. Therefore, do not fear. Why? How can he say that? How, how do we know he's not just crazy? How do we know that he's not deceived into thinking that this is who I am? I'm God. Lots of people thought they were God. And here's why. Because he actually went to a place deep in the wilderness to take the full wrath of God that's due us. There's never a place deep and dark enough that we can go that he hasn't been before and is still with us. You feel like life is coming unhinged right now? He's with us. And he's done it because he died on the cross. And on the cross, even as we said earlier, he descended into hell, which means that everything that's due, all the evil that's ever happened, was placed upon him so that we might live in the deepest and darkest places of the world. And we can't provide it ourselves. We don't have what it takes to give food. We don't have what it really takes to give another person rest. But we have God who does. And he's present with us through Jesus. John 1 says this, that God became a person and tabernacled or tented or hung out among us. And then it says something very powerfully. It says that Jesus is that one. And he came full of grace. We talked about earlier grace and mercy. But also truth. That he would punish evil. That's truth. Evil deserves to be punished. Yeah? But also at the same time, the problem we have is if evil's punished, if we're honest, well then we should be punished. But instead, Jesus was punished for us. That's actually what this passage is saying, is that the very one who can see us face to face, and it's the glory of God without killing us, is also the one who died and rose again, and even now lives to be present with us always. And so Jesus is saying, look, here's who I really am. Here's my identity. I'm God himself as a man.
mind-blowing. And yet the very thing that we need today, that when we're afraid, he doesn't just come and say, like, hey, get over your fear. We're actually <coughs> afraid is a normal emotion. But he comes to that and he says, I am. I am with you. I'm always with you. Okay? Father, we ask that you would take these words that you've given us and use them uh, for supernatural life in us, we ask, in and through Christ.